on overload today. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. So, for the next two weeks, Et and I are going to be working through this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And I did listen to a podcast and they said his name is Comer. I was like, comma, to start with, but it's Comer. Anyway, I was handed this book by my wife, Bianca, a little while ago. And it is one of those books that ruins your life. <laughs> in a good way. Now, I'm slowly figuring out what this book does and how this plays out in my life. But Ed and I thought it would be a really helpful book for Pathway to look at for a couple of weeks. Although we quickly realised we need more than two weeks to do this. So, anyway, we've jammed it in. And we're going to see how it goes. So, <laughs> we, I want to encourage you, Ed and I also, we want to encourage you to get it and read it, particularly leading into next year. But I'll talk a little bit more about that later. I'm not sure what you think about hurry. Maybe you think it's unrealistic or an old-fashioned, in this day and age, to not be in a hurry. Maybe you think, I can't not be hurried. There is so much to do. I hear that. I really do. Those of you who know me, even just a tiny bit, know that I'm not good at sitting still. There's always stuff to be done. Things to fix, people to talk to, a house to maintain, meetings to attend, study, homework, grass to mow, a shed to tidy, family to hang out with, friends to see, animals to look after, and much more. These pressures and demands are real in my life, and I'm sure they are in yours too. Anyway, there is a lot to cover this morning, so I'm going to pray, and then we better get into it. Let's pray now. Father, you are good. You created us and designed us to be with you. Only in you can we truly and be, be truly and fully satisfied. Help us to be present here this morning, to hear what you want to say to us, not what Ryan is saying, but what you are saying, God. May you be glorified and praised as we look at this concept of slowing down and just being with you. Silence the distractions we might have, and help us be present with you and your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So take a moment just to think about the current culture in which we live. It constantly tells us to be busy, to be efficient, to be on the move at all times. Otherwise, we're wasting oxygen, we're wasting time, we're wasting money. The mentality is seen in the constant push to progress, to get faster, do bigger, do more things. Think about it. How do you respond if someone asks, how's your week been? Most of us say something like, yeah, it's been good, but busy. We are busy creatures who live in an overly hurried world. The life of hurry and productivity is almost worn as a badge of pride in our culture and those who are, don't do these things, people who aren't busy, are often seen as lazy. Now, we humans are meant to do work and stuff with our lives. So I just remembered, got some things in my pockets I need to remember. We're meant to do stuff with our lives. We're not meant to be just some blob that achieves nothing. Look at today's Bible reading. What are we to take upon ourselves? A yoke. What is a yoke? It's a tool to do work. A tool that connects the two oxen together in order that they work together to plough a field or pull something heavy. Jesus didn't say, come to me and I'll give you a mattress. He said, come to me and take up my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, this yoke only works when the two oxen are walking and working together, side by side. Jesus offers us 
this kind of relationship with him. Now we'll get into this a little bit more towards the end, but we need to understand that, that doing stuff is not evil or ungodly, but hurry is. Hence why this morning we're going to look at the problem of hurry. How, is this, how this lifestyle is forced upon us and how it is not what the Bible teaches about doing life in relationship with Jesus. We are not to adopt a hurried lifestyle of the world, but the lifestyle of Jesus. Now let me say this right away. Right away. Being in a hurry from time to time can and does happen, and that's okay. Like rushing out for some sort of emergency. Maybe your wife's about to give birth. Maybe your kid's about to stick a fork in a PowerPoint. That's okay to hurry. To hurry out the door, to get home and do whatever you need to do. Hurry in instances like this is normal and just fine. However, these days most of us live with some sort of heightened level of hurry every hour of the day. Overcrowded schedules and many demands often force us to live in a state of hurry 24-7. This is the hurry that we're talking about over the next two weeks. So in this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, there's a quote uh, by the name of Carl, uh, from a guy by the name of Carl Jung, Jung, I don't know. He's the guy who invented or came up with the whole framework for the introvert-extrovert thing. He says that hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. So the first point I'd like to make is hurry and relationships are incompatible. So John Mark, the guy who wrote this book, he calls them oil and water. They do not mix. Why don't they mix? Allow me to try and demonstrate. To do that, though, I need a pre-prepared volunteer. She looks like Reggie. <laughs> so come on up, Reggie. I have a microphone for you. It's not so that everyone here can hear it, so those on Zoom can hear you. So I've asked Reggie to ask me some... Sorry? Oh, I'm going to move around. You can do what you like. So she's going to ask me some questions, and you'll soon get the gist. So. Hey, Ryan. Yeah? Um, do you have a minute? Because I'd like to oh. chat with you. Can't, yeah, I suppose. Yeah? yeah? Okay. Yeah, cool. How, how are you doing? Are you okay? Um, I'm, I've got a bit to do, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, because yeah. I was just wondering kind of what was, what was on your mind, like, at the moment. On my mind? Kind of what, yeah, yeah. Kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Look, um, I haven't really got time to think about that just yet. Just got to tune the piano. This is, yeah, right. This is definitely how you tune a piano. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, is another time better? Um, no, now's good because I haven't got time no. later. Okay, so now's, you, you chase <laughs> now's good. After now's me. good. Okay. And so, um, all right. Well, I guess now is it. Yep. Um, so, because I just had some ideas and I just wanted to float them with you, but I'm just kind of wondering where you're up to, kind of, you know, first, like to, to see. Well, I'm just trying to get all my jobs done, but. Yeah, but like um, in terms of your ministry and stuff, kind of, you know, where, what are you, well, what are you yeah. thinking? Yeah. Ministry's going okay, but I do need to talk to someone at the back here as well. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Are you sure another time is not better? Well, I don't have any other time, you see. Yeah, okay. Do you, no. do you ever have a conversation? Uh, actually, no. Not really. Okay. So, why, why are you so busy? Because there's so much stuff to do. I'm going to hurry. I've always got to be doing stuff. Anyway, I think you get the idea. <laughs> Thanks, Reggie. <laughs> that is about as much acting as the world has ever seen of Ryan. Cool. So, where were we? Thanks for that, Reggie. Yeah. I hope you can see past my wonderful acting and see my point here. I was constantly being reached out to by someone who wanted to know me. I was asked questions, I was shown an interest in. And did I do any of this in return? 
No, because I was hurried and busy. Think about it with me. Relationships are the, one of the most time-consuming things. If you're a parent, think about how long you've spent building relationships with your kids. It takes an awfully long time to do this. How about your closest long-term friends in your life? How, about, how much time has been spent together building that relationship? A lot. What about a romantic relationship? Anyone ever dated for an hour or two and lived happily ever after? I doubt it. Did any Bible stories come to mind upon seeing and hearing my great acting as I, distra- as I was distracted and hurried? As I was that person that doesn't have time for relationships. We actually get a little tiny glimpse of what Jesus thought about hurry in the Bible in the story of Mary and Martha. I'm going to read it now. Hopefully you can on the screen behind me. But it says this. It's from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. So as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And just like I was too busy to stop and get to know my loving volunteer Reggie, Martha too was unwilling to stop to be with Jesus. She saw the jobs to be done, the things to sort out, and the busyness of life as more pressing and more important than spending time at the feet of Jesus. It is clear that Martha expected help from Mary. Look at her complaint to Jesus. It says this, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. To Martha, the workload had just doubled because Mary had ditched her. And Martha would have certainly felt this extra pressure and had to hurry around to get all the jobs done. And in her hurry, she missed something. She was preoccupied and hurried, trying to get stuff done when she needed only one thing. That one thing her sister Mary got. That one thing was relationship with Jesus. Now, I doubt I'm alone in thinking things about this Bible story that we just read. Like, well, if Martha wasn't doing her jobs and busy doing whatever she was doing, how does anything get done in life? Or, say Jesus was there for a meal. The dinner's not going to cook itself if uh, everyone's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jobs need to be done. Yes, this is true. But I don't think it's the point Jesus is trying to make. There's always stuff to do. The list of stuff to do never ends. Just goes on and on and on. Stuff to do is not the problem. The problem arises when we have so much stuff to do that the only way to stay on top of things is to hurry. In doing so, we throw any real chance, any chance of a real relationship with anyone out the window. No one can hurry a relationship. Not with a friend, not with a spouse, not with kids, especially not with God. Relationships take time, a lot of time. You cannot hurry them, at least not successfully anyway. Hence, why hurry is the enemy of all relationships. So in summary of this first point, as there was quite a bit jammed into it, we are supposed to do stuff with our lives. We are meant to work, to contribute to families, church and local communities. It's healthy and important. 
However, we live in a world of hurry, hurry, hurry. And this lifestyle can, and to some extent has, crept into most people's lives today, myself included. And that is a problem. Hurry is the enemy of relationships. I hope we can see the problem with a hurried lifestyle that pushes away any chance of developing a real relationship away. I hope too that I've made it clear that hurrying relationships with others simply will not work. Relationships with other people need time and will not survive if they're built around hurry. My point and John Mark's point in this book is simply this. Hurry is bad. Hurry is the enemy of relationships, especially a relationship with God. How about you? And I ask myself these questions too. Is your relationship with God done in a hurry? Does life feel too hurried to even begin to think about spending time cultivating a rich relationship with him? Have you ever just smashed out your morning or evening devotion or quiet time because you're in a hurry to go somewhere? What about a hurried prayer life? Does any of this resonate with you? Sure does to me. Are we in danger of neglecting our relationship with God because of our hurried lifestyle? I would argue yes. Just like we need to spend time, a significant amount of time, over a long period of time building relationship with others, the same is true for our relationship with God. Think about the people you know who have an incredible depth in their relationship with God. I can think of a few people in this congregation who I see it in. I'll be willing to bet that the reason for this depth is time. Many hours and years spent in his presence, unhurried, good quality time together with God. That is what builds relationship. Doing life in a hurry is tiring and having shallow relationships with God and with others is not what we were created to do. It is not the life to the full that Jesus offers. How do we live a life like Jesus? How do we find rest in him? Now you might be thinking, yeah, Ryan, you've raised a problem which I can kind of relate to. My hurried life is tiresome and I do want more than a shallow relationship with God and others. What on earth am I supposed to do about this though? It's not a bad question. To seek to answer that, I'm going to take a little look at this book now as let's be honest, this guy has done a lot more work than I have on this issue of hurry. So I'm going to read from a fair bit of it now, one chapter. I've cut and shut a bit of it out, but it's good. I'm not doing this because I'm lazy or I'd run out of time. I'm doing it because it is really good stuff. As we go, I trust you'll find it's easy to follow along, as this book is a pleasure to read. There is a bit in this though, so I don't know how it's going to go. Let's see, shall we? Here's my sticky note. So this title, this chapter is called The Secret of the Easy Yoke. I feel like a teacher reading to kids on the mat. <laughs> and now for the question you've all been asking. What does any of this have to do with following Jesus? That is, after all, my kind of gig. I'm a pastor and a teacher of the way of Jesus, not a therapist, self-help guru or time management consultant. Sadly, motivational speaker does have a nice ring to it, but I'm more likely to say, turn in your Bibles too then offer a tip or a technique on how to make your small business dream come true or lay out a protein to carbs ratio to revolutionise your morning routine, if only. But I'm guessing you're reading this book not just because you feel hurried, 
but because to some degree you find the life of Jesus compelling. Either that or you're single and you find the boy or girl who gave you this book compelling. Either way, I'm happy you're along for the ride. See, easy to read. Were I a betting man, I'd also wager that before I said a word, you were already smart enough to intuit some kind of correlation between hurry and spirituality. I've just put language and history and data to what you already know. We have a problem with hurry. If you're still reading this, it's either because you're the kind of person who has to finish every book you start, or because you have enough faith in me and, you're, and that you're optimistic a solution is en route. Let me show you what the way of Jesus has to say about the epidemic of hurry. To start, Jesus was a rabbi. It's Hebrew meaning teacher. Yes, he was more, the Messiah and the embodiment of God himself. I deeply believe that. But if you had been a first century Jew and Jesus showed up in your synagogue one Sabbath morning, the odds are the category you would have put him in was that of a rabbi or a travelling sage. And like every rabbi in his day, Jesus had two things. First, he had a yoke. Not a literal yoke. He was a teacher, not a farmer. A yoke was a common idiom in the first century for a rabbi's way of reading the Torah. But it was also more. It was his set of teachings on how to be human. His way to shoulder the, at times crippling, weight of life. Marriage, divorce, prayer, money, sex, conflict resolution, government, all of it. Now it's an odd image for those of us who don't live in an agrarian society. But imagine two oxen yoked together to pull a cart or plough a field. A yoke is how you shoulder the load. What made Jesus unique wasn't that he had a yoke. All rabbis had a yoke. It was that he had an easy yoke. Secondly, Jesus had apprentices. In Hebrew, the word is talmidium. Peter, did I say it right? <laughs> I don't know. He's more up with it than I am. So, in Hebrew, there was a, a word, talmidium. It usually translates as disciples, and that's just fine. But I think an even better word to capture the idea behind talmidium is apprentices. To be one of Jesus' talmidium is to apprentice under Jesus. Put simply, it is to organise your life around these three basic goals. One, be with Jesus. Number two, become like Jesus. Number three, do what he would do if he were you. The whole point of apprenticeship is to model all your life after Jesus and in doing so, recover your soul. To have the warped part of you put back into shape. To experience healing in the deepest parts of your being. To experience what Jesus called life to the full. What the New Testament writers call salvation, keep in mind, the Greek word we translate salvation is soteria, it's the same word we translate healing. So when you're reading the New Testament and you read somebody was healed by Jesus and then you read someone was saved by Jesus, you're reading the same Greek word. Salvation is healing. Even the etymology of our English word salvation comes from the Latin salve, as in an ointment to put on a burn or a wound. This is what Jesus was all about. Healing people, saving them at a soul-deep level. How? Through apprenticeship to him. So everywhere Jesus went, he was constantly offering an invitation. Usually it sounded like this. Come, follow me. Or like this. Come, be my apprentice. 
That was Jesus' go-to language for people to come and find healing in apprenticeship to him. And I love it. But let's come back to another invitation of Jesus, the one that we started this book and this sermon off with from Matthew chapter 11. It doesn't get as much airplay, but it's my favourite by far. Do me a favour, reread it, but this time slowly, giving each word time to metabolise into your system. Here we go. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is an invitation for all the tired, the burned out, the stressed, all those stuck in traffic and behind on their to-do lists, reaching for another cup of coffee just to make it through the day. Is there anybody like that out there? Let me rephrase the question. Anybody not like that out there? Jesus' invitation is to take up his yoke, to travel through life at his side, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life with ease, to step out of the burnout society and to a life of soul rest. Now this sounds great, but let me call out the elephant in the room. How many of you read this invitation of Jesus and think, I think I'm a follower of Jesus, as far as I can tell, but honestly, I'm tired I'm worn out. I live with a low-grade fatigue that rarely goes away. And honestly, I'm a little burned out on religion. What gives? Am I missing something? Now, it took me a lot of years, many of them, through tough work, to figure out, yes, I am missing something, something that was staring me in the face most of my life. Now, listen carefully. If you grew up in the church, the odds are high that you knew this verse in Matthew very well. It's reached cliche status in some circles. I grew up in the 80s, back when Christian grandmothers would cross-stitch Bible verses and then frame them on the bathroom wall, just to the right of the soap. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This verse was a favourite for grandmas across the Western world. And the danger with that is it's easy to grow numb, or even blind to what is embedded in this verse. Hidden in plain sight is this invitation to, of Jesus, is what Dallas Willard called the secret to an easy yoke. He wrote this about Matthew chapter 11. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus is loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering pain patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. What he's saying here is simple but profound. Here's my paraphrase of the secret of the easy yoke. If you want to experience the life of Jesus... You have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. As long as I'm repeating things one more time, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And when this clicked for me, it changed everything. To break it down, a quick story. 
I lived right on the edge of downtown Portland in this fun micro-urban neighbourhood. Across the street is a house full of single people who are essentially a walking advertisement for Nike. Nike is based in Portland suburbs and I'm not sure if they work for Nike or if they're sponsored or what, but all six of them are avid runners. Now I run, but I'm not a runner. You know what I mean? These people are runners. And frequently, early in the morning, as I'm sitting there drinking my coffee and praying, I see them file out the front door to go for a sunrise run. Naturally, they're all wearing tights, and trust me, they look good. Single-digit body fat, that lean but muscular look, impeccable posture, shoulders back, chin up, and then they start to prance. I mean, run. They look more like an antelope than a human. Seriously, their warm-up is faster than my speed workout. And regularly as they run off, I think to myself, I want that. I want to look good in spandex. I can't believe I'm saying this. I want to run a six-minute mile without breaking a sweat. I want that level of health, energy and vitality. I want that life. But then I think about the lifestyle behind it. While I was up watching, insert TV show, and drinking red wine until midnight, they ate celery and water for dinner and went to bed at nine o'clock. While I was sipping my Hellier's Road distillery, uh, single origin, whatever, I'm trying to make this up because he had some weird drink I've never heard of. While he's sipping his weird drink no one's ever heard of, in his bathrobe, they were out sweating through the humid goop of summer and ice in winter. When I run, I catch up on a podcast or stare off into space thinking about my teaching for Sunday. Whereas when they run, they run intervals every 400 metres to stretch their lungs to breaking point. I run a cost-benefit analysis and quickly decide, as great as their tights look in the morning fog, it is not worth the pain. So I simply spectate. The reality is, I want the life, but I'm not willing to adopt the lifestyle behind it. I think that's how a lot of us feel about Jesus. We read the stories of Jesus, his joy, his resolute peace, through uncertainty, his unanxious presence, his relaxed manner, and how in the moment he was. And think, I want that life. And when we hear his open invite to life to the full, and think, sign me up. We hear about his easy yoke and his soul deep rest and think, gosh yes, heck yes, I need that. But then we're not willing to adopt his lifestyle. But in Jesus' case, it is worth the cost. In fact, you get far more than you give up. There's a cross, yes, a death, but it's followed by an empty tomb, a new portal to life, because in the way of Jesus, death is always followed by resurrection. Here's a conviction of mine. The Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is more than just that. Sorry. Here's a conviction of mine. The Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. It's not a set of ideas that we call theology or a list of do's and don'ts that we call ethics. I mean, it is that, but it's so much more. It's a way of life based on that Jesus himself, based on that of Jesus himself, a lifestyle. The church tradition I grew up in made much of theology and ethics, but little to nothing was said about lifestyle. But lifestyle is where the money is. Your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. By life, I mean your experience of the human condition. And by lifestyle, 
I mean the rhythms and routines that make up your day-to-day existence. The way you organise your time, you spend your money. There's a saying in business literature that I love. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Usually this is applied to widgets in the bottom line, but I love it for life as a whole. If the results you're getting are lousy, anxiety to simmer, mild depression, high levels of stress, chronic emotional burnout, little to no sense of the presence of God, and an inability to focus your mind on things that make for life, then the odds are very good that something about the system that is your life is off kilter. The way you've organised your morning or evening routine, your schedule, your budget, your relationship to your phone, how you manage your resources of time, money and attention, something is out of whack. It's often quoted that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. But that's exactly what we do. We get a vision of the kind of life that is possible in Jesus. We go to church, or read a book like this one, or listen to a podcast. We catch a glimpse of the kind of life we ache for. One of the emotional health and spiritual life. Our gut immediately says, yes God, I want that life. We head home from church with all the willpower we can muster and set out to change. But then we go right back to living the same exact lifestyle. And nothing changes. It's the same cycle on repeat. Stress, tiredness, distraction. We feel stuck yet again. And then we wonder, what am I missing? This method of change simply does not work. What does? Honestly, the solution is very, very simple. If you want to experience the life to the full that Jesus, his non-stop conscious enjoyment of God's present and world, all you have to do is adopt not only his theology and ethics, but also his lifestyle. Just follow his way. That's it. Just take his life as a template for your own. Take on his habits and practices as an apprentice. Copy your rabbi's every move. After all, that is the whole point of apprenticeship. That's what Jesus is getting at with this odd imagery of a yoke, which, when you think about it, is a bizarre language for an invitation to find rest for your souls. I mean, yokes are for farming. Farming is work, not rest. A guy by the name of Frederick Dale Bruner is a top scholar on the Gospel of Matthew, and his insight into the paradox of an easy yoke is worth reading. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, He offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. I hope you're laughing right now. That's so insightful and true. But Jesus realises, this is a further of the quote, but Jesus realises that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens, We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Do you see the genius of Jesus' invitation? There is an emotional and even spiritual weight to life. We all feel it, especially as we age. An easy life is a myth. Life is hard. Full stop. No comma, no but, no end note. 
all the wise men and women of history have said as much. No new technology or substance or pill will ever erase humanity's fall. The best case scenario is we mitigate its effects as we advance Jesus' return. But there is no escaping the pain. People all over the world, outside the church and in, are looking for an escape, a way out from under the crushing weight of life this side of Eden. But there is no escaping it. The best the world can offer is a temporary distraction to delay the inevitable or deny the inescapable. That's why Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. He offers us something far better. He offers us equipment. He offers his apprentices a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity with ease. At his side, like two oxen in a field, tied shoulder to shoulder, with Jesus doing all the heavy lifting. At his pace, slow, unhurried, present in the moment, full of joy and peace. An easy life isn't an option. An easy yoke is. I still got everyone? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so an easy life isn't an option, but an easy yoke is. Now, I realise this is a bit of a cliffhanger and a lot to take in, a lot. What does it look like to adopt and follow the lifestyle of Jesus, to apprentice under him, as John Mark says? How do I do that? Now, you'll see that I was not even halfway through this book. All that is coming still. But not this week, as I've spoken long enough. Next week, Etienne will talk about the other half of this book. In it, John Mark explores the ideas of silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity and slowing. Yes, they're all S words. They are all ways that we can begin to follow Jesus' lifestyle, to apprentice under him and find rest for our souls to unhurry our lives. Now, it is so, so difficult to cram all this into just two weeks of teaching on a Sunday morning. So I'll say it again. Get your hands on a book, on this book. Christmas holidays are on the horizon and the opportunity is there for you to put things in place to follow and mimic Jesus' lifestyle in 2023. Life shouldn't be done in a hurry. A relationship with Jesus cannot be done in a hurry. So what do we do with all this we've heard this morning? First, come along next week. Second, grab a copy of this book, which, by the way, we're not getting commissioned for. And third, marvel at the goodness of God. God knows us. He knows our tendency to hurry us through life. He knows what we need and he offers it to us. He doesn't just leave us on our own. He's reaching out to us with a new way of life. Not an easy way of life, but a fulfilled life following Jesus. A life full of rest for your souls. The easy yoke is available to us. Jesus is holding it out to us, waiting for us to take him up on the offer. And it is so worth it. This week, let's remember, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. This life of hurry is not what we were created for. We were created to mimic his way of life, to apprentice under him. His lifestyle of peace and unhurriedness is available to us. Ponder, pray, prepare yourself. They're my three P words. For your, ponder, pray, prepare yourself for next Sunday. It's going to be a good one. So to wrap things up, I'm going to pray now. God, a lot of words were just spoken. 
an awful lot of content was discussed. The problem of hurry is real and it affects all of us to some extent. Would you help us this week to recognise the areas of hurry in our life, to see the damage it does to our relationships with those around us, but not only that, the damage it does to our relationship with you. Grow in us a desire for more of you. You are worth our everything, God. Thanks for your unending patience with us, for your forgiveness of our many mess-ups and for your unstoppable love. In Jesus' name, Amen.